Hey everyone, you are listening to the Covenant Grace Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Enjoy the message. Hello, one, two. Morning, everyone. How's it going? Cool. For those at home, don't adjust your television screens. <laughs> this, is, this is real. This is happening right now. <laughs> um, I'm extremely privileged to be up in front of you guys today. It's, it's not something, it's not a place I ever thought I'd ever be. I've had plans for my life, and this is uh, in some ways a little bit crazy. I don't think I'd ever seen myself um, in front of a, a pulpit type thing. So I'm really, really stoked. It really is such a privilege. Um, thanks to God's grace for, for getting me to this point. Um, this will likely be a very new color that a lot of people will, will see on me. So I really hope that it, it looks fine. <laughs> um, but I really look forward to bringing you God's word today. And um, I hope and pray that he works through whatever I, I have to say. Um, and just with that in mind, I would like to just pray again to calm my own nerves, if that's fine. Um, so yeah, please, please pray with me. Um, yeah, Father God, we just want to commit this moment to you now. We want to commit this time to you now. We want to say that it's, it's not about us behind this pulpit, Lord, but it's all about you. It's your word that we are here to boast, Father. It's your work in Christ that we are here to boast about, not about ourselves. We are merely just messengers, Father. And I pray that, I pray that your word would just pierce hearts today, Lord. I pray that it would change lives today. I pray that people will feel the conviction of your spirit today. Um, not by me, but by, by you, Father God, and, and I just want to commit this time. And I thank you. Please calm my nerves, uh, whatever I feel, and I pray that you would, just, you would work today in the service and beyond. Amen. Cool. All righty. So if you have been following with us, we have been in Hebrews over the last while, um, and we're moving forward in our series in Hebrews as we commit, c- consider the next testimony of faith in our cloud of witnesses. Um, at this point... I was, we're, we're back with Abraham. Abraham is still being made an example of. At this point, I did start to feel a bit sorry for the guy. There's 40 verses in this chapter. Literally one quarter of this whole chapter is about Abraham's faith being put through the ringer. And I just started to feel really, really bad for him. There's other people that we're going to learn about later on. Um, but still, we're back with Abe. So, so sit tight. We're going to see what he went through today. Um, if we just recap of what he's actually been through already... We see that he's been tested by God when he was called to leave his hometown and his family to go to an unknown destination, camping out in the wilderness, just really uncomfortable positions. It's really not a great place to be. Um, and then last week, Jade preached so great about um, how he had been made to wait 25 years for a son. He was so, I think he was 100, and he had the son. That is crazy. He had to wait 25 years for this, but God still saw him through all of that. Um, but yeah, all of this, it's, it didn't happen for no reason. I guess God was preparing him for something a little bit more hectic. Like we're, we're going to see something kind of crazy today. And as I was reading this as well, I had to grapple quite a bit with this. I was like, yeah, this doesn't sound like the God that I worship, but this is. So we're going to have to wrestle with this a little bit today. And um, this is going to be Abraham's, probably his biggest test. Um, both of these previous acts had shaped Abraham's life in such a way that he wouldn't really resemble anything that he had looked like before. Um, and it was, we're going to see this week, um, God's going to use his mysterious ways, and he's going to bring about change in Abraham again, just like he does with us. Cool. 
So just so you have a framework of what we'll be discussing today, I've got two things up. We're going to be talking about testing first, just as a general topic, and then we're going to talk about Abraham's test and what we're going to learn from him there. Before we plug into this, uh, uh, is anyone opposed to any, any four child sacrifices? Anyone? Anyone four? Good. Good answer. You're going to love this. That's great. All right. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to please um, follow along. The scripture is on the screen, but if you have one, please follow along with us. We're in Hebrews 11, verse 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. I'm just going to have a quick sip of this water. Cool. So that's a really cool snapshot of what we're looking at. Just a quick summary of what we're going to be dealing with today. But if we want to look at it a bit more in depth, we need to go back to Genesis and have a look from Genesis. So if you'll turn with me to Genesis 22, verse 1 to 2. Um, we're going to look at those two verses. So it says, After all these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. My mind immediately went to Lord of the Rings there. Any Lord of the Rings nuts here? Moria, I kept thinking to find a joke, but really this is not a jokey passage, so I couldn't find one. As we read this account, we need to realize that human sacrifice wasn't very uncommon back in those days. There were a lot of pagan religions around in the land. Um, it's really bizarre and it's really hectic, but not uncommon for, for someone like in, in a time like Abraham's time. So this was a big ask. Abraham wasn't a pagan, but it was a big ask, not, but not foreign to him. So he was familiar with, with what human sacrifice is. But still, how do we reconcile human sacrifice and God? That was a question that I had to ask myself. How was I going to land that? How was I going to bring this point back? Um, but Scripture is very clear. If we see in Hebrews 11 and in Genesis 22, they both start with God was testing Abraham. He wasn't asking him to mindlessly sacrifice his son. There was a purpose behind this. And that's what we're here to explore. We need to find the purpose behind why God, was willing to, why God was asking Abraham to do this. But still, man, it's a really big ask. There are other ways <laughs> to test someone. Surely there are other ways. We write tests at varsity all the time. We don't have to sacrifice anyone. So this, is, this was a big ask, and I, and I really had to, to dig into this. Something more manageable, something smaller, I don't know. Fetch water from the well, whatever. So why did God test Abraham? The purpose of God's request was not for him to mindlessly sacrifice his son, but rather to suss out how Abraham would respond to the situation. God was clearly testing Abraham's faith. He was doing it to build and strengthen his faith, for his faith to mature and for his faith to grow. So a helpful picture, if we had to look at Christianity as just like a human body, we've got muscles and we've got limbs and all of these things, and they all function together. Faith is like a muscle in this situation. It needs exercise, it needs resistance in order to grow and become stronger. Most gym goers will understand if you don't, if you don't work your muscles, you're going to feel pup and you're going to feel slow and not going to feel as strong as you need to feel. So without exercise and training, our muscles don't grow. God knows this and he also knows that muscles need to be strong 
if we're going to be able to fight the good fight and endure the, uh, sorry, and run the race with endurance, we need to be fit. A race is, this, if it's an endurance race, it's going to be long. If it's a fight, it's going to be physical. We need to be strong and we need to be fit to get through this, this, this long race. So there is a specific purpose to our trials and testing. And in Abraham's case, it was for God to build his faith. It might not always be that for every kind of, every kind of test. God could be testing your patience, could be testing this or that. But specifically for Abraham, it was his faith. Now it's important to realize that testing and tempting are not the same thing. God does not tempt us. He does test us, but he doesn't tempt us. Um, if you'll turn with me to James 1 verse 13 to 14, it's very clear. James says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So we all have desires. They're evil desires. If we look at 1 Corinthians 7 verse 5, I want to back that up. Um, this is talking about sexual immorality, which is still a desire that we have as humans. But Paul says to the church in Corinthians, Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you, because you lack self-control, because of your lack of self-control. So we see three things there. We know that God is, God is not tempting us. We see that. That's pretty clear. We also see that we are lured and enticed by our own desires. And then we also see that Satan is, is in the mix of this whole thing. So Satan is using our own evil desires to tempt us. But tests and trials will often come from God, not temptation. The enemy designs temptation for our failure, whereas God designs tests for our growth. Maturity, fruitfulness, and blessings come from God's tests and trials. Well, then you might ask yourself, is everything bad that I experience on a daily basis, is that a test or a trial? I'm super guilty of, of believing that. I'm always going, oh, man, I spilled this milk. This is God testing my patience. Or, no, the milk just it slipped out of your hand. It's not, God's not testing your patience. So then we could ask the question, is it God's test or is it my mess? On, this, on the other side of this coin, not everything we encounter is a test from God. God can use any situation he wants to teach us something valuable in a moment. Of course he can. A super simple example I thought of was, was something like time management. And I, I, I think I stumbled on this because I've been meeting with a few people during the week and they expressed that time management was becoming a problem for them. Um, so we, we, can, we can overload ourselves with work sometimes and then we go, oh, God is... God's putting too much on my plate. He's obviously testing me. I need to figure this out. Time management. No, it's, you're, just, you're just bad at time management. Manage your time. You need to figure that out. And if, if anyone has any tips, I'd love some tips. <laughs> Let's talk after the service, please. I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> I want to go to James uh, 1 again. If we look at verse, uh, two, verse 2 to 4, James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So I want to stop there. I want to pause there. That is not a very worldly way of thinking. The world will tell us that we need to, you know, we need to be sad about these things and we need to just kind of sit in our 
somber feeling and it's, it's not very healthy. This is very counterintuitive to do this. From, from a Christian perspective, we, we don't look like the world, so we have to act opposite. Consider it all joy. I, I do meet some people who do it. They go, you know, when, when they hit tough times, awesome, praise the Lord, I'm so joyful. Deep down, I, I don't know if that's, you know, sometimes I don't buy it. I, I just don't buy it sometimes. It is tough. Life is tough. It's going to be hard. But if we carry on reading, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let your steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We're not called to rejoice in the fact of the trial. We need to rejoice in the results. God is trying to work something out of us in these trials. And if we can't see the end of it, sure, it's pretty sad. We need to see the end of the trial because God is good always. He's with us in the trial. Of course he is. But he's taking us to the end where his goodness is going to shine through. I think that's important to, to note. So there is much purpose in our faith being tested. In God's perfect love and wisdom, he allows certain things to happen for our refining. God put Abraham through a tough test for his good to develop his character and to grow his faith. The command to sacrifice Isaac, which was Abraham's only son, 25 years, waited 25 years. I watched an episode of Survivor last night because I'm really into Survivor right now. And um, they had the episode midway through the season where they bring all the families in. And um, sometimes when, these ki- when the kids run in, the guys don't even pay attention to their wives. They're like, no, I don't, it doesn't matter. I want to hug my kid and I want to kiss my kid and all of these things. Can you imagine having to ask someone to sacrifice their kids? Parents in this room, would you do that, mom? You do that? Of course you wouldn't. You only have one, hey? Cool. <laughs> Your favorite. <laughs> but it's hectic. It was a supreme test of Abraham's faith in God. When he left his father's country, we learned that Abraham loved God more than his father. And now we learn that he loved God more than his own son. So an important question, does God still test us today? Of course he does. Definitely he does. Absolutely. It doesn't look the same as this, but he definitely still is testing us today. If God loves you, then he will test you. His tests are designed for our good, to sift and cut through to what we value and treasure the most. So we too can expect God to test us in the area of the things that we value and treasure the most. To purge us of idols is a very loving and saving act. There are so many idols these days. Human thought has become an idol. Money is such a big idol. Even time, people have become so possessive over their time. And when God asks us to give that up, sure, it's not an easy thing to do. Make excuses all the time. What was it about Abraham's faith that got him through this test? Abraham is a poster child for Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. If Abraham had to lean on his own understanding, no, he would, he would have been running for the hills. God gave me the son. Now he's asking me to sacrifice it. doesn't make sense. I'm making a beeline. I'm going, I'm running away from this. I'm going to try and get as far away from this as I can. But no, he's trusting in God's understanding, and he's leaning into God for, in this moment. So what can we learn from Abraham's test of faith? We learn three things. So first we see that Abraham's faith trusts in God's goodness. Abraham was convinced of God's goodness. He firmly believed that he was righteous and just in all of his ways. And so he was willing to obey. 
So all we have to do right now to put ourselves in Abraham's shoes, we just have to look back to last week's sermon, to what Jade preached. God was good to Abraham, made a promise, kept the promise. He's been delivering for Abraham throughout. We see Abraham try to take things into his own hands. God is like, that's unnecessary. I already made the promise. I can't deny myself. I'm going to fulfill this promise. God was good in that moment. How do we, how do we look back? I mean, I can look back over the last two years and pick, I don't know, a handful of moments where I can see God's hand directly involved in my situation. I can go, yeah, that was tough. But at the end of it, God, you were so good at the end of that. The fact that I'm in front of this pulpit, I mean, God, God has been good. So if we look back at the Genesis account, the Lord visited Sarah. Sorry, Genesis 1, 21, verse 1 to 2. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. The Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. So how can we be convinced of God's goodness? It's, it is quite a tough one sometimes to see when you are in the thick of the trial. It is very difficult. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. It doesn't say read and see. It doesn't say think, think and see. It doesn't say reason and see, feel and see. It doesn't, no, it doesn't say any of those. It says taste. What is tasting? Tasting is an experience. If you want to taste something, you have to experience it. It's not a mental exercise, but a personal experience while you walk with God and you see his hand in your life. While I was, yeah, while I was making that point, you know, church, that experience, it may look different for everyone. Some people have tasted God's goodness on like another level. Some people have tasted less than that. And truthfully, some people have yet to taste that goodness as a Christian. It, it's, it was really tough to read that and, and knowing that some people might not experience that yet. But if you are in the trial, especially in the thick of this trial, I want to just encourage you right now to just hold fast because he is good. That is a promise. God is good. And he will come through for you. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I hope, I hope we're taking refuge in this God. So being convinced that God is good is being sure that he is better than any other option or temptation. Sometimes a lack of understanding in how God may want to conduct something leads to a lack of faith. And a lack of faith can cause us to question his goodness, especially in the trial. We say things like, yeah, we know God is good, but we don't actually believe that his way is better. So I'm, I'm just not going to obey. I'm not going to, to do this thing. I'm going to make my own way. I don't believe that God is good. I'm seeing too much trouble here. I don't want to obey this. Hold fast. Keep obeying. Hold fast to that. God is good. The second thing we see is that faith trusts in God's will or God's promise. What was God's plan? It was his promise. Abraham would be a father of a multitude of nations. That was God's promise to Abraham. Hebrews 11, verse 17 to 18. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. That, is, that was the promise that God made. Here's your son Isaac, the one that I'm asking you to sacrifice, but your offspring's going to come from this, from this supposedly 
dead thing. That's how we have to reason that. Even though Abraham's actions and circumstances seem to be in a complete contradiction of this promise, he held fast to the ultimate plan of God. We see this faith echoed in the account in Genesis as well. So Genesis 22, verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. We see the surety of Abraham's faith in God in this moment. He doesn't say, I and the boy will go over, we'll worship, and then I will come back to you alone. That's not what he says. He is so sure that him and Isaac are going to come back. Because Abraham knows something. He knows that God is going to come through because he's made this promise. So we need to trust sometimes in God's promise. In verse 19, in Hebrews 11 verse 19, he says, He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. That's how much faith God, uh, um, Abraham had in God. Uh, Tim Keller speaks um, on trials and he says, No one is exempt from trials and tribulations. In fact, this is often what happens to people God loves very much, for it is part of God's often mysterious and good plan for turning us into something great. I needed some scripture to back that up. I love quotes, but I think Bible is definitely a bit more important, so... I went to Peter, 1 Peter 1, verse 14 to 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. That sounds like God is telling us he's going to make us holy. You shall be holy for I am holy. How is he going to do that? Well, We can't do it. We can't make ourselves holy. We are the furthest thing from that. God's going to have to do it in his miraculous kind of sensational ways that he seems to do it, like asking Abraham to perform something like this. God's great plan for us as believers is to bring him glory through us being conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And the only way to do that is to root out this kind of, this worldly behavior, disobedience. How do we get rid of disobedience, unfaithfulness, Well, we're going to have to test it. We're going to have to put it through trial. We're going to have to put it through the ringer and figure that out. Thirdly, Abraham's faith trusted in God's power. I want to go back to verse 19. He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. I want to suggest to you that Isaac was as good as dead. The fact that Abraham had to consider God's power of resurrection to possibly bring him back. I want to say that Isaac was as good as dead. But we know that God is more powerful than that. And he had a promise to fulfill. So had Abraham had to follow through, God would have had to resurrect him. This is what made Abraham obey so fully. He went all the way to the point of thrusting the knife into his son. Because although he didn't fully understand, he was fully convinced of God's goodness, God's plan, and God's power. In his heart, he had already offered, up, offered Isaac up fully. It was as good as done. I'm going to begin my descent now. I'm going to, I'm going to land this plane. <laughs> um, 
And I want to take us to the rest of the, the Genesis account. Um, if you'll follow with me from Genesis 22, 9 to 14. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his horns, God's provision. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the, the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. I want us to see two things here. Um, the first thing I want to see is that this is a really wonderful picture of Jesus Christ being provided as our sacrificial offering. Keller has a quote on this as well. He says, Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us. And when God said to Abraham, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from me. Now we can look at God taking his son up the mountain and sacrificing him and saying, now we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son from us. So my second point, I want to tell a bit of a story before I, before I end with this. Um, and I'm stoked my mom is here because you can ask her about it afterwards. But um, I have this weird relationship with my car. I suck. I, I cannot wash my car. I don't know why. It's just something that's not very high on my priority list. It looks fine on the inside, and it's comfortable, and it smells fine. Like on the outside, sometimes it gets a bit dusty. And older parents, maybe, you'll, maybe you can, I don't know, maybe you can testify with my mom. I don't know. Um, but my dad is particularly concerned about this. He hates that I don't wash my car. Often I'll go and visit my folks, and my dad will be standing on the veranda waiting for me to, to arrive just so he can ex inspect the car. Won't say hi. I won't say hi to him. The first thing he'll say to me is like, yes, your car looks dirty, eh? Like, doesn't, doesn't even say hello. Sometimes my mom will come out and she'll go, um, you better not let your father see that car. Like, you better either leave now or just don't let him see the car. Um, yeah, and I, I remember having a conversation with them on the couch one time. And, and I treat it as a joke now just because I, I have not been better at it. And my dad came in and he's like, when are you going to take that car for a wash? And I laughed, and I just looked at him, and I said, Dad, when, when am I going to hear the end of it? And he paused for a second, and he, and he just said, you'll hear the end of it when you just do it. Just go and do it, and then you'll hear the end of it. I'll stop talking about it if you just wash the car as frequently as I ask. Um, and just reflecting on that story and, and building up to, to the sermon... I had to think about that. I'm like, why, why can I not just listen? It's really, it's not expensive to wash a car. It's not a lot of effort. The irony in this whole thing is that how great is it to have a clean car? It's so great. It smells really good. It's clean in the inside. It's, it's just, it's brilliant, actually. People see you on the street and you're like, oh, look at this, look at this red, candy red car going around. It looks really nice and shiny and all of these things. And I can't believe that, you know, I, I felt like I, I knew better than my dad. My dad clearly knew better. Why is it so, 
hard to listen and to just trust him. Um, He's not asking me to wash my car for the sake of washing my car. He genuinely knows how good a clean car feels. He knows what that feeling is like. And so he just wants me to feel that. He just wants me to have that with my car the same way that he experiences it with his car. And so often when I visit my dad now, sometimes I'll, I'll pull up and then he'll be like, your mother and I are just going to take your car for a wash and I'll just hang out at home. So they'll go and they'll drop my car off at the car wash and, and I'll just hang out like I won't take the car for a wash. So I want to look at Abraham. On the back of that story, I want to look at Abraham. Is this falling? No, it's fine. I want to look at Abraham. A biblical scholar, F.F. Bruce, um, has this quote. He says, Indeed, the impression that we get from the biblical narrative is that Abraham treated it as God's problem. It was for God and not Abraham to reconcile his promise with his command. So, when the command was given, Abraham promptly set about obeying it. Promptly. There's no delay there. He's, it's not like, oh God, I'll wait two months, let me spend some time with this kid. Promptly. God asked him and he promptly responded. His own duty was clear and God could safely be trusted to discharge his responsibility on the matter. So I started off my sermon by saying that Abraham's really been through it. With all these, these tests and all these trials, he's really, he's really embodied that, that verse in James. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It took him a while. It took him a few tries. You know, it's not, it wasn't easy. He tried his own thing with Hagar. It didn't really work. Tried to have a kid with her. He took some liberties, right? We, we can have grace over that. That's fine. But eventually, he got there. His obedience was perfect because his faith in who God was was firm and so secure at the end of it. So on that, church, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. I'm going to ask you which one you want to hear first. You want to hear the bad, right? That's generally what people, I mean, we have to end with the good news. So the bad news, perfect obedience is extremely tough. Abraham had God talking directly to him, walking with him, promising things firsthand out of the mouth of God, and still he wasn't able to perfectly obey. Like I said, it took him a few tries before he managed to absolutely nail it. And in my time as a Christian, I guess like as a practicing Christian, <laughs> I really haven't seen perfect obedience yet. I haven't, I haven't displayed that. I can't even wash my car. Life is tough in the trial. It really is. It really is so tough. And our faith will often waver. It will sway to and fro. But, CG, here's the good news. Here it comes. We have been given one who has been perfectly obedient and has displayed perfect faith on our behalf. I want to take us to Philippians 2, verse 5 to 8. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, to the point of death, even death on a cross, which was embarrassing. Death on a cross. If we go to Matthew, we see that even Jesus begged that this cup would pass. The task 
would pass from him. God, take this cup from me. But that was not the will of the Father. And so Christ remained obedient unto death for us. God knows that we are unable to be perfectly obedient. And so he takes the car to the car wash for us. That's what he does. He provides a way through the life of Christ, who was perfectly obedient. I'm going to pull a, pull a line out of Greg's book here. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying that we shouldn't be obedient because Christ has been obedient. No, we have an obligation to be holy because God is holy. And so we must be obedient. But Christ has been perfectly obedient, and he's made a way for us to be with the Father again. So I want to ask in closing, won't you consider your faith with, won't you consider your faith, sorry, <laughs> where am I here? Consider with faith and logic what God has done for you by sending his son as your sacrificial offering for sin. Consider the depth of your faith and the steadfastness of your obedience. Those two things go hand in hand. If our faith is not rooted deeply enough, then obedience is not going to be rooted either. It's not going to be rooted in our faith. It's going to be rooted in our own understanding. The deeper our faith is, the more our obedience is going to show in that. Consider the cross and think about God's goodness, God's plan, God's power. And I pray that as you do so, he opens your eyes and deepens your faith and your trust in him. Amen. Cool. Worship team. Thank you. Let's pray. Yeah, Father God, we just want to say thank you for your word. Thank you for the conviction of your spirit, Father. We know who we are as, as humans, Lord. We know that we can be deeply disobedient and we know that our faith can waver when we are in the trial, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would, you would just make it all the more real that you are in the trial with us, Father. We know that you are good and we want to see your goodness and so we want to ask, Lord. We want to ask to see your goodness. Show us your goodness. Carry us through the trial. You're the only one strong enough to do that, Father. Lord, can you deepen our faith as we consider this cloud of witnesses, Lord? I pray that as we go forward, we will have our own story to tell one day, Lord, and our own testimony of faith, of how you have come into our lives and you've changed everything, flipped everything upside down, Lord. This is all for you. Our faith is rooted in you, Lord. And we just ask that you would help our obedience to follow. We pray for the trial. We rejoice in the outcome of the trial, Lord. And I just pray that you would make us more obedient for it. In Jesus' name, amen.